Well, hey, let me just let you in on, on a little bit of our story. You know, there's, there's enough new faces here uh, that I just need to bring you back a little bit. Is, is Annalise Griffin Bjork here? Oh, Annalise. Yes, she's right here. Okay. Didn't mean to embarrass you, but I'm going to. That's what I do the day of the service. Um, so Annalise and Phil are here. Why don't you guys raise your hands? There we go. Annalise and Phil Bjork. <laughs> Annalise Griffin. Yeah, we can clap for them. Come on. <laughs> Normally at um, North Shore Community Baptist, but um, special dispensation, they're here today, and uh, we will see them again. Um, they're going to share a little bit about um, where God's calling them um, at some point here in this fall. I'd love to have you back. Annalise Griffin, believe it or not, was my s- student when she was in seventh grade English, <clears throat> and this actually relates, okay? We are starting the Harbor story now. In the, we'll say the mid-90s, in the mid-90s, <clears throat> Annalise was at a youth group, and her pastor was Sean Richmond. And uh, Sean Richmond started to get a vision, a dream that God would have him plant a church, leave Texas. This was in Waco, Texas. And uh, God gave, began to give Sean a dream that he would plant a church in New England, in Boston. Annalise saw her youth pastor leave to go to Boston, and then she saw her, her language arts teacher leave for the same reason. I remember being in uh, the, the um, actually then when she was in eighth grade in the computer science classroom explaining to my students, this is why I'm leaving. I'm leaving this job so I can go plant a church in Boston. And Annalise, you know, as, as Mary, she just ponders this, keeps it in her soul. And then when it comes time for colleges, five years later, God gets her to Gordon. She comes to Gordon College. Gordon College, she befriends some special people like Sarah Fulton, now Sarah Crass. Like Sarah DeBear, now Sarah Booth. Jim Miriam, he kept his name. He's still Jim Miriam. <laughs> Bonnie had to change hers. So, and... Uh, and Annalise, they started to get to know each other, and, these, and Annalise starts to bring them down. If I understand this correctly, you guys correct me at any point here. Um, starts to bring them down to Community of Faith Christian Fellowship in Brighton or in Boston, Mass., which was launched in 1998. And I guess it must have been 02, right? About fall of 02 is when you showed up as a freshman. So these guys start coming to CFCF in Boston. They spend their four years at Gordon at CFCF, more or less, give or take, and they start to get a vision for who we are, and that is we are a church that plants other churches. We're a church that wants to see the kingdom expanded in that way. So Pastor Sean, at that time, pulls a few of these guys aside. I know that Jim, Sarah, and Sarah especially, they start to dream. What if? What if God wanted an expression like CFCF on the North Shore? What if, especially given this incredible uh, talent pool we have here coming through Gordon and Gordon-Conwell, what if God wanted to have an expression of church kind of as we feel called to do it and, um, and be right near this, this talent pool here and see people released in the purposes of God more than ever before? Not, and, I, and I don't mean to slight Salem State. I see the Salem Staters looking at me with, um, with uh, I don't know, disgust is a strong word, but <clears throat> Salem State, Endicott, Montserrat, North Shore Community College. What if God wanted to gather um, some of these guys also and, and do something incredible? So Sean, Sarah, and Sarah... Particularly, I think they start to dream. This is 06, 07. They start to dream and say, okay, how, what would, how can we do this? And they start to say, um, yeah, Lord, what do you have for us? Some awesome people join their, their ranks, like a young woman named Kim Loper who's not with us anymore, precious one of God. Megan Pelletier, are you here, Megan? She here? She's not here today. So Megan um, joins these ranks, and they start to dream together about let's plant this thing. Sean starts to, I, now I've gone back to teaching. Sean starts to, uh, kind of crack, broach the subject with me. Hey, what'd you think about pastoring our church on North Shore? And through a series of events I won't go into right now, I basically said, I submitted to that. And so um, um, we launch. 
And we launched in the fall of 07. This, on this last Sunday of 07, five years ago, we began uh, with a group of people in 16 Atlantic Ave, still the, the residents of uh, Sarah Fultacrass, Sarah Fultoncrass and Keith Crass. And that's relaunched in that apartment. We gathered about 15, 20, 30 students by the fall, meeting Sunday night, saying, here's who we are. We feel like God's called us to, to um, love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to be a part of his purposes to the ends of the earth. Let's dream together. <clears throat> we begin our, our um, that was our soft launch. And then in uh, January of 2008, we began worship services at the YMCA. And I uh, just had a great time in the Y. <laughs> so many good stories. It was wonderful that God put us there. You know, there's some wonderful residents who live in that Y and just learning how to serve them and love them was such a joy. It's actually part of who we are that we miss is we miss um, being with that population. And we're always asking the Lord, hey, Lord, how do we, how do we um, serve them better? And so 07, 08, we're, we're plugging away. 08, 09, we're just trying to lay the foundations. You know, we, we invite tons of college students to become faith group leaders. And um, here's David Connectley's one of them. I'm so glad that he's not so scarred from that experience. That he's, most of the have gone on. I've had tons of, hey, I'm really sorry conversations over the last few years for inviting college sophomores to, to maybe lead our faith groups before um, they're quite ready or cured enough to do that. But praise the Lord. And we learn from mistakes. That's why we make them. And um, uh, anyways, just plugging away. Then fall 2009, we come to this incredible mushroom. You know, John Prickett starts as our part-time college pastor, later to become full-time. We begin our Navigate Training School, which is our Discipleship Training School. And we just had this explosion in the Y. We were, you know, some of our Sundays there, we were hitting 2.15, 2.30. And we had people in the balconies there, if you remember that YMCA gym. And what a fun season for us. And so we started to seek the Lord. Lord, we realized, okay, we're growing here. It's been quite a mushroom. Um, how are we going to accommodate this? We need more room. And so we started to look at other places um, uh, in, the, in the city. And another thing that God has put on my heart is just being in unity with other pastors. And so we'd been meeting with other pastors, praying together. And what opens us up for us is a place called Emmanuel, Emmanuel Congregational Church. The space was there, but the time wasn't. And so to move those really hard and... Um, uh, you know, we've looked back at it multiple times saying, hey, Lord, is that really the best thing? Not so sure. But that was back in um, February of 2010, we moved to Emmanuel and to evening services. And it's at that time that I would say, this church really began a pruning process. There was something that was happening very practically and also very deeply and spiritually. The practical was, and I've had a lot of kind of, hey, I told you so, I was on this one. But, you know, we, 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 we didn't carry all those students with us. Actually, we carried way fewer students than I would have thought when we went to um, the evening services. But can I tell you the wonderful things about that season? We really learned how to worship. And in fact, the very thing we're going to experience today, you know, we, that's, when we were in the evening services, we did this. We had the word first, and then we just opened up for worship. You know, it's great because we didn't have that, you know, the noon bell goes off in your hearts and it's like, I need food, I need football, let's get out of here. We didn't have that, you know. At, at, when you start at six at night, I mean, you got kids, it's a little rough, but, um, but we would just enjoy the Lord's presence. And it was a great season, I believe, the Lord teaching the harbor how to enjoy the Lord's presence. In that fall, Josh Booth and Jenna Voorhees stepped up to lead worship. So thankful for the gifts they bring. And then in January of 2011, um, uh, Jenna joined the staff as the worship leader. And, um, all, and, and then it became evident, you know, after our season kind of in Emmanuel that we wanted to come back to Sunday morning because we really especially wanted to reach the demographic of families with kids. We, we, we just realized, hey, the Sunday morning is going to be the key where we can kind of hit that again. And we just need a space to call our own also. 
And so that was last March. Remember, we've been here for two Easter's. Last March, or March of 2011, I should say, we moved back here, back to morning services. And again, on this pruning theme, what God is doing, he's just laying deep foundations in us. You know, when we were at the mushroom stage, we probably had about like a, a, a core like this. We might have had 50 people who are really walking with us in our small groups and whatever. But, you know, we had 200 in the services. So it was a great Sunday service. But what God did is he just inverted that over the season. We're now, you know, of our, of our 100, 120, 150 that we have, now we have a, a large percentage of that that are involved with us deeply, going through the training school, um, walking in our faith groups, becoming faith group leaders. And really there's just a, the DNA is really setting here. It's like the concrete has been setting these last few years. I think um, just in January, you remember we had a, um, we did a survey. And in that survey, I think we found out that we were, you know, we're hitting in the 60 to 70% of people who are showing up on Sundays are also in our small groups. That's a huge factor for me and a figure for me. That's actually probably more important to me than the Sunday attendance is who is in the life of our small groups because of, of um, what goes on there as far as um, that being a place where um, we really experience church in a special way. And this last spring, what we did was we did a lot of restructuring of our leadership because um, it became clear to me that in order for us to move forward, we had to restructure some of it and um, put some of the executive decision-making in different places and stuff like that. And let me make sure you know who all is, is around here. But we created an advisory team. This is essentially, um, it, it's what will, I believe, kind of become, not kind of, it will become a board of elders for us. But this advisory team just is around me to help us make our decisions. So we have Keith Kress, and you guys just wave, um, Dan Baker, Jim Miriam is here, and then also um, Brian is not with us. He's at a real estate class, so he'll help us buy a new building. Praise the Lord. Just kidding. You're going to hear it's not one of our priorities, actually. But um, uh, Brian Carlson is, is, uh, is also on that team, and so they're just helping us with some of the decision-making, and we restructured some of our staff and our, and our, and our volunteer staff so they could meet more because we realized that um, as we open up more volunteer staff positions. We need to get them in the flow. And so this group is going to be a crew that meets on Monday nights once a month. But just to, um, actually, let's just see right here. Let, let, let me get this bulletin. I just want you to wave. Thank you. Let, let's wave at some of these guys. So my wife is here, Kelsey. Yay. She actually runs this church. You don't realize it. Between her and Sarah Booth, they, they run the church. Sarah Booth, administrator. There she is. Um, Jenna Voorhees, our worship leader. Are you here? There she is. Praise the Lord. Um, Clara Bowen is our children's ministry coordinator, leading a great, great ministry there. John Prickett is our college pastor, and he's just so delighted to be focused this year. You know, he carried our training school last year with Beth, who's our, um, our Navigate director, but he's just delighted to finally um, be at a place where he can focus on the college. He's building a great team, of whom we, we put um, the college administrator on there. Nicole Paz, are you here? We just want you to know that, that um, college students, you have questions, email her before John, okay? It's going to be good. It's going to set him free. Beth Price is running our training schools that are now in their fourth year. Is that right? This is our fourth fall. So we started in 09, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yes. That's incredible. And uh, there you see the advisory team there. And, uh, and then, of course, we've got the finance committee um, with Dan Baker chairing that. So we just, we just restructured our leadership so that it could become more efficient and, um, and more um, clean. So we come today. Did, is, does anyone feel dishonored that I leave someone out important? Honey, help me. They're all important. I love you all. I just... <laughs> Yes, and I'd, I'd love to actually raise your hand. We're like, you forgot me, Neil. I'd actually love you more. So, okay, anyways, there you go. Oh, Jim, okay, should I? I forgot to mention that Jim actually runs the lights too. So praise the Lord. He thought he was just stretching, but he's actually, he wants you to know that he runs the lights. Okay, all right, so we come here. 
we're at this threshold where it's our sixth fall. It's our fifth anniversary. And the key is, what is the Lord saying to us? What is his word for us? I do believe that a season of pruning is over and a season of growth is upon us. I don't mean just numerical growth. You know, it's true that a group of 150 is very comfortable because you know each other, and that is a threshold to push through. But I believe that God wants to bring this church more into the purposes of God for this city, for this region, for New England, and for the nations. And, and Jesus is whispering something us to apprehend so that we can do that. God wants to release us in more power. You know, the reason that I did invite Mike to share this testimony is because, as I said, Harbinger... Is that right? Harbinger of things to come. God wants to work signs and wonders. Church is going to come out of these four walls, and God wants to bust loose in this city. Is there faith in this house? Are we here? Okay, come on. This is what God wants to do. And just like the, the picture that I have of, as far as how God wants to do this with us today is like this. Not all of you have had the privilege of traveling overseas, but when I've been in, say, places like North Africa or the Middle East, you've got a picture of the Medina or the Bazaar, just a very crowded place. It's very loud. There are tons of people around, and there's distractions at every side. There's this smell here. That thing's cooking here. This guy's yelling for attention. This guy wants to sell you this. And it's very loud, and it's very distracting. Have you been there? Anyone been there? Can you see it in your mind? Maybe if you're a, a North American only, maybe it's Times Square on New Year's Eve. You walk into Times Square on New Year's Eve, and I mean, you, when you walk into that area, just the uh, sensory, sensory overload is incredible because so many signs going off. There's people everywhere. But imagine, if you will, in the bazaar, in the Medina, or in this Times Square scene, just something small, innocent, and little catching your eye, like I have seen in the Medinas of North Africa, a little child sitting over there in the corner. This is the nature of what God wants to do to us. Because let me set up or with us, and let me explain. <clears throat> Jesus, in the middle of Passion Week, is um, things are really ramping up for him, okay? He is had, he's getting in these really intense conversations with the Pharisees. Um, he is also having very intense conversations with his own disciples. It's getting heated. You know, if we take the synoptic op- Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is when he... Um, uh, overturns the, uh, the, the money changers' tables in the temple. Just things are getting wild. It's just heating up as he's headed towards crucifixion and resurrection. And in the middle of that, one little thing catches his eye. In the middle of all this activity, all these important words, all these weighty things, something catches his eye. And so it is with us. We're about to start up again this fall. We're about to gear up into everything that God has for us. And as we're gearing up and we're trying to get the machine turning again, something is catching my eye. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, and I need you to to get it with me. Turn with me to Luke 21. Let's see what that is. What is the thing that is catching our eye? What is the thing that's going to keep us from just remaining comfortable or crossing into all the purposes and destiny of God? What is that thing? Luke 21, 1 to 4. As he looked up. Now, Jesus has, had, has just had one of these knockdown dragouts with the Pharisees. He's just had a very intense conversation with them. He's had a little rebuke session. Something catches Jesus' eye. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Get the picture. 
Cadillac Escalade rolls up. Don't be condemned if you have one. Praise the Lord. Guy's got his Starbucks cup in one hand. He's got the dollar that he got back in change from spending $10 on his coffee. <laughs> Throws it into the temple treasury, moves along, you know, smooth. It's bumping in there in the Escalade. <laughs> okay. Jesus also saw a poor widow. Okay, this woman knows some pain, right? She's widowed. She's been alone. We don't know for how long. But she's got the pain of a widow. She hobbles up. The temple treasury would have been this little wooden box that people put in their money to just for the operation of the temple, right? So that the sacrifices that are going on, the upkeep of the temple, all of the, all of the uh, furniture and utensils of there, that it's all taken care of. Little poor widow hobbles up into the treasury. And what does she do, put in? She puts in two very small copper coins. She puts in two lepta is the Greek word. And lepta even means thin. It means small. She puts in these two teeny tiny. You can hear the chink as she puts it in. All this activity is going on. And Jesus has the presence of mind, sees it over there, and he says, hey, guys, I want to tell you something. He says, this poor widow has put in more. She's put in more. Her coins are thin and little. There's only two of them, two pennies. But Jesus says, she's put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their overflow, out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord to this church right now. We are at a crossroads. We can either kind of comfortable, let the machine run and and be kind of a happy church, or we can take the example that caught Jesus' eye 2,000 years ago, and we can give all that we have to see what God wants to do in this area. That's what it's going to cost. It's going to cost you, it's going to cost me a little bit of a lot of everything. That's what God's saying is he is calling us to give so that it hurts, okay? Escalade, it doesn't hurt him to drop a dollar in. Widow, all that she has to live on, it cost her everything. It's going to cost us everything too. It's wonderful. Jesus' salvation is free, but walking his purpose is going to cost us everything. And what that is, that's where you're going to hear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to begin to speak to you. What does it mean for you to give everything so we can see the purposes of God come, come to pass in this family? When I say that God is calling us to give so that it hurts, to put in like she did all that she had to live on, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to get more busy. I'm not saying you need to do more stuff. I, I don't, I'm not saying you need to take more yokes on you. But what I am saying is we need to apprehend what is Jesus calling us to give and what does wholehearted devotion to him look like? I'll mention this probably a couple of times today, but let us not forget the little word that Jesus gave in John 12 when he said, right, Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it, it dies alone. But unless it falls to the ground and dies, it, um, it can't bear more seed. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in mine? Let's call to mind Barnabas. Do you remember when his name is Joseph? When Joseph co- comes on the scene in Acts 4, we know him as Barnabas. Barnabas, son of encouragement. We know him as the guy who recognizes Saul and sees the gifts on his life and says, Saul, become all that God's called you to be. We know him that way. How does Saul, excuse me, how does Barnabas, Joseph, how does he show up on the scene in Acts 4? Anyone remember? Kathy Newby. There we go. 
he shows up. How we get introduced to him is he sold one of his properties and uh, he, he took the proceeds from it and led it at the disciples' feet. He gave up control, right? He said, okay, here, it's all yours. It's all yours. He yielded the control. For that to happen, I think Barnabas, <clears throat> just like um, the, this widow, I can only conclude that this widow, as Joseph, Barnabas, they must have had such an incredible sense of faith and of God's character and God's love. Because you can't respond to God like that. You can't put all that you have to live on in the temple treasury unless you have a history. As a woman broken by the pain of widowhood, she must have had a history of receiving the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. She was secure in his character. She was secure in the fact that God would provide for her. And that's what God's calling us to be and to do also. Because I just know this about the kingdom. There's a dynamic that, that we see all throughout history. And of course, it's most exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ himself. But that dynamic is this. The one about John 12, the dynamic is, unless something dies, there's not fruit. Unless there's sacrifice, life doesn't come. Martyrs bring moves of God. You know, I wonder what, what calling card is being cashed in at this point in, Lib- in um, Jordan and... Um, uh, Syria, that all of a sudden we see this unprecedented move of God. You know what I'm saying? People have laid down their lives, whether that's physically or just a long life of service to the Lord. People lay down their lives, and then things happen. In this area, you know, we still have alive Elizabeth Elliot. Let's remember the story of her husband, Jim, and her story. Jim Elliot at uh, Wheaton College there in the mid-40s gets set on fire by God. In fact, he's actually not that great of a student at Wheaton College because he kind of finds like philosophy and anthropology, they're somewhat of a distraction to him. He says, I want to I wanna know the word of God. I want to obey Jesus. I want to follow all that God has for me. And uh, through a series of connections, he gets a heart for this people in Ecuador, the Alca people, sometimes called the Waudi, sorry, Waudoni. And, um, and Jim Elliott, and he gathers four guys, just a couple of guys who get married, so they can't go with him anymore, but he gathers four other guys, and they go down to Ecuador, and they start to make a relationship through aviation. <laughs> they start dropping gifts into this tribe, and their goal is to share, have the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. As that, you know, I think they spend a couple months doing these plane drops, dropping presents, gifts, and things into this tribe, till finally they feel like it's time for them to move in, and they move in. And in January, I think it's either 57 or 58, all five are found dead the next time the plane comes through. Seems like a waste, doesn't it? Seems like a waste. Except that a few years later, when Elizabeth Elliot follows up in her husband's footsteps, has the courage to go back to this same tribe, sees a move of God happen, so that the testimony of one of um, Jim Elliot's killers is this. He said, I've killed 12 people with this spear, including the ones that, you know, Jim and his friends. But that was when my heart was black. But then my heart got cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I know him, and I don't do that anymore. Sacrifice, resurrection, glory. And I'm saying for us at the harbor, here's the whisper of Jesus. We give all that we have. We give until it hurts. We give so that it hurts, so that God can get the glory right? Amen. It's kind of like when I say prayer and fasting here. It's not cake today, (laughs) all right? (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Now, why do we give all that we have? Well, as I mentioned, she was putting her 
Um, where was she putting her two lepta? She's putting them in the temple treasury. We give. We give all that we have so we can increase the, the glory of God, so that God gets the worship that he deserves. This may be a fine point, but notice that Jesus hasn't seen her doing this at the synagogue. You know, the synagogue system was at, in place at this time. And what I mean is there's a, there's a, there are local places for teaching and ministry everywhere. But I think it's important that Jesus takes notice of her at the temple in Jerusalem. My point being that it's the temple where what goes on there is pure worship. It's the worship of God. It's the sacrificial system that then Jesus would come to complete. And that is why we give until it hurts. We give because God is going to get glory and God is going to get worship. And we want to flow into actually the very thing John just prayed it a second ago. It's Habakkuk, right? We have a promise from Habakkuk. We have a promise from Isaiah, and it's this, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, it will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that exciting? Things look dark, and it seems like they're only getting darker around here, but the fact is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, in other words, God being exalted for who he is, it will cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. Have you noticed how much waters cover the sea lately? It's a lot. I have this little game that I play every time, yeah, I get into a transatlantic flight. I've never been trans-Pacific. But when you get on a flight and you're lucky to have a cloudless day, so my mind starts to work and I just realize, okay, we're going 580 miles an hour. And I just start to like work it down. And I'm like, wow, in those 15 seconds, we just went about three and a half miles. That's pretty fast. You know, I try to imagine 15 seconds, four miles, three miles, whatever it is. And then I'm looking around. I'm going, you know, and there's water everywhere. And I just go, this thing is huge. This ocean is large. God, you're amazing. So I'm just saying, as the waters cover the sea, it's going to be so large, it's going to be so powerful. Yeah, welcome to my little mind. That's how it works. <clears throat> Low sleep, overnight flight. You know how it goes. So praise the Lord. That's what's going to happen. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The question is, do we get to be a part of it? Do we get to be a part of that? And I guess here we are at year five, Harbor, and I'm saying, Lord, don't pass us by. Don't pass us by. And his response to me is, well, check out Luke 21. Give all that you have. Give all that you have. Throw in. Throw in. And now probably the key part, what does it look like? Okay, how are we to give all that we have? How are we to do it? And this is where a couple of words are so powerful to me. And that is where it says that she gave all that she had out of her what? Out of her wealth? No, out of her poverty. So you know what that does for all of us here? That just allows us all to be in. No one is excluded here. We are to give what we have not what we don't have. You're to give from what you have, not from what you don't have. So I don't care if you don't have um, X number of dollars in the bank. I don't care if you're not as anointed as Pastor John, you know. I don't care if you don't have the mantle of Neil. I don't care, you know, this, that, or the other. I just, it doesn't matter. The one that Jesus remarked about 2,000 years ago was a little poor widow. In the culture's eyes, not a culture changer, not someone who could do anything about anything, but Jesus called her out. And Jesus is doing the same for you and me today. I don't want to over-dramatize the narrative here, but as Sarah mentioned, right, as she gave her announcements, look, God is in the business of taking weak people and using them for his glory, Okay? When we got together, none of us, one of us had been through the training school. That was me. And our little band, they got together in the fall of 2007. I mean, (laughs) 
like I said, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but we're, you know, here's me and Jim just looking at each other like, we're, I, I don't want to speak for Jim, but Jim and I are kind of more the timid Timothy types, not the like powerful Pauls. You know, our story is more of like God saying, yes, I really do want to use you and kind of, you know, sending us out, increasing effectiveness and, and, and measure, whatnot. And um, all the, I mean, just our whole team, we, it's, just, it's just not a story of like glory to glory. It's a story of God uses weak people who just say yes. And he wants to do that with, with us over and over again. And we were not launched with tens of thousands of dollars either, you know. Our movement, CFI, AMI, they're not in the habit of, hey, let's get a war chest first. Oh, good, we got 25 grand, now we can plant a church. No. Let's honor Sarah and Sarah. Sarah and Sarah started tithing to this church before it existed. So you're sitting in a seat now today because a couple of, uh, what's the opposite of a poor widow? I don't know. These, these, are these um, <laughs> I don't want to use the virgin. That's crazy. Anyways, these two... <laughs> These two single ladies with a little faith in their heart started to tithe, okay? <laughs> These two precious women started to tithe. Sorry, I got, some people are turning red, and I'm one of them. These two precious ladies started to tithe to a church that didn't even exist yet because they had faith in their heart, right? And so we can't just ride on that for five more years. It's your turn. It's my turn. We all have to re-up and say, God, how are you calling me to give out of my poverty, all that I have. That's what he's calling it. And if, and if we don't all get on board, we're going to miss it, okay? And can I just tell you, it's just the way Jesus works. You know, God is always putting us, and he's putting the harbor again in this position. And he puts us in the position that he put the disciples in. It's how Jesus called me, and again, I don't want to oversay it because you've heard me say this probably 30 times, but it's how Jesus called me. That summer of 07 where I was like, ooh, teach, keep my benefits, I love my health insurance, or, you know, do something crazy at 35 years old and just restart this whole thing again. And the thing that Jesus spoke to me was from the feeding of 5,000, right? Jesus puts his disciples in this incredible place. He says, hey, guys. You know, the disciples come to him and say, what are we going to do, Jesus? Been hanging out for three days. They're really hungry. Don't want to send them away. You know, what should we do? And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. That's how Jesus called me. I don't have. I could give you the hundred things why I shouldn't be a pastor of a church. And I had that list with Jesus all the time. Here's the hundred reasons why I shouldn't. And Jesus' word back to me was, you give him something to eat. You start a church in Beverly, you know, in my power. And, you know, with this movement, not, 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 not a Lone Ranger deal. But, like, you watch what I'll do. If you'll just show up by faith. Why do the Muckleys move across country from Colorado? They have a great church. I love going to their church in Colorado. I'm sad they don't live there anymore because I can't go to their church in Denver and have a great <laughs> church experience. When I go, they have a great church. Why do they move from Colorado to here? Why do they leave a really secure job, a fun job that, that uh, Jason had? Because God told them to. Because God said, if you lay it down, watch what I'll do. I'll use your family for whatever. And I'm not putting you in a box. You just do what God calls you to do next. But they did the next thing God called them to do. And they left family. They left comfortable job. They left everything that would make sense without a job, mind you. Right? Jason didn't have the job all lined up here. He was trying but there's a point where they just said, you know what? God's called us. We're moving. It's awesome. Okay. I want to I talk about three specific things right now about our, how, how God is calling us to, um, to uh, um, give all that we have, how to give till it hurts, okay? These, these, are, these could feel somewhat random, but I just, you know, this list of like how we give, it could be 30 long, but I, you know, by God's grace. Ooh, okay. We're going to move on here. 
By God's grace, we just got it down to three because I just feel like there's, there's, there's three that God's highlighting today. All right, so here we go. The first thing, the one way, the first way that we are, that God is calling us all to, um, uh, you know, um, give tilt hurts is first, we need to sacrifice some of our expectations regarding church. I want you to hear this carefully because there's a nuance here that you need to hear. And what I mean is this, um, we often come to church, actually, just as Father Nate preached last week, you know, he, pre- he preached last week on John 6, where the people came for, to Jesus asking for bread, and some of them wanted to see a move of God. So they come to Jesus saying, I, you know, here's my need. And Jesus kind of lovingly, gently, as John 5 goes to John, and, and John 6, Jesus lovingly brings him to a greater story. Now, you and I all come with sometimes our things. I want more friends. I need my marriage fixed. I want to bring my kids to a place where they can learn about God. Or I'm hurting and I need fixed and all this. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your only reason for coming here, I'm just going to say you're going to be disappointed, okay? Sorry. It's just the way it is. But what I want to gather us up to is we have a mission as a church. And that mission Jesus has spelled out in Matthew 28 and Matthew 24. Other places, Mark, he says, we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are going to love our neighbors as ourselves. And our mission is go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. What he say in Mark 20, or Matthew 24? He says, this gospel we preach to the nations and then the end will come. That is our mission. Now, does God care about you? Yes, yes, yes. Does he care about you, your pain? Sure he does. Scripture says he holds your tears in a bottle. I'm not minimizing that. What I'm saying is, if we will get under the mission of God, I think God's going to take care of you. And so some of us need to sacrifice those expectations of, God, you know, the church is going to make my marriage better. The church is going to give me friends. The church is going to do this, that, and the other. You know, the wonderful thing is, if we get on mission with God, I guarantee you're going to have the best friends. You know? I mean... I just have all these, in my mind, I have all these testimonials from the 90s and, and recently of the World War II vets, right? These are guys who they're remembering 60 years before in tears in their eyes. These are the best friends I ever had. And how did they get those best friends? Sitting around, playing cards, drinking beer? Maybe they did do some of that, but they did it in a war theater, on mission, you know? That those relationships came because they were on mission. And that's what God's calling us to. Okay, so the first thing is we got to sacrifice some of our expectations. Second thing is we do have to sacrifice financially, okay? I almost didn't say this today because I thought, ooh, I don't want, I don't, uh, you know, I don't want people to feel like I'm, you know, just whatever, coming down with the finances. But let, let me give you some good news. The good news, July 1, you're paying for your lead pastor all the way. Praise the Lord. You can, yeah, okay? After... After five years, this church is, is, uh, is owning its lead pastor. You can be glad about that. We're sure glad about that, I'll tell you that. So, <clears throat> but now, the, the, the finance committee has set the most aggressive, I mean, I guess conservatively aggressive. It's still in the conservative realm. It's the most aggressive budget that we've had. Now, I'm not here to say, well, we set this budget, so you guys better give. I'm actually saying something totally different. What I'm saying is, guess what? When this church, when we get a handle on generous giving, and we are generous, but when this church gets a hold of hilarious giving, all heaven's going to break loose in Beverly and the North Shore, everywhere, you know? I just want you to know, we tithe, what do we tithe right now? 11 point what percent? Can't remember, 11.5, 11.7? All right, yeah, so right now, we tithe 11.5%. In other words, 11.5, everything that comes in, we give away to other ministries and other churches, and we want to increase that next year to 12%. We want to increase it the year after, maybe 13, maybe 12.5. kind of depends on how things are going. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
We just want to keep increasing this thing because there's something about our hearts and we're generous givers that God wants to set free, okay? So how are we being called to give it, to, to, to give it away? How are, we, how are we called to give Dill Hurts? One, we sacrifice our expectations about church. Number two, we sacrifice financially. And listen, you want to talk about sacrifice. I'm paid for right now, but guess what? We got Jenna Voorhees, our worship pastor. We don't pay for her yet. Um, we've got our Navigate Director. We don't pay for her yet. Our college pastor, John Prickett, we don't pay for him yet. Sarah Booth gets the award for the longest amount of, like, working the hardest with, with not a commensurate salary. She gets the award for that. I'm just saying, hey, let's get radical in our giving. We want to expand things here. Let's, let's, let's pay for our staff, too. Praise the Lord. Um, ah, thank you, Lord. Sorry, Jenna's looking at me because... We just want to get right to the worship party. You want to, too. I want to, too. Okay, last thing. I have more to say on the financial. We'll stop there. And, and the, the, so the last way we're going to sacrifice is this. And this is just what I want to get across to us is we will always be sacrificing for the sake of other churches being planted, whether it's in New England or in the four corners of the earth. So just as a practical, before we get our own building, and, and who knows if God will have us have our own space and place in this city. He may very well do that. But I'm going to tell you right now, the priority now is going to be getting um, churches out the door because that's what we value. Because all the studies say that, you know, how what the best form of evangelism is? It's church planting. and We're going to do it. And that's going to hurt, right? We're talking about giving so that it hurts. It's going to hurt when some of the people right here who've been so, they've so colored the flavor of this church, some of the very ones we love, the most are going to, we're going to say goodbye to them. Maybe as soon as a year from now, but somewhere in this five-year window for sure, we're going to be sending some different ones out. Maybe overseas, maybe here in New England. And it's going to be hard, but we're going to rejoice together. Just think about it. Five years ago, there was one church, CFCF, about 300 people. Here we are five years later. There's three churches now. And on this Sunday, gosh, that means there's probably about 700 to, let's see, I don't want to overestimate, 150, three. That's 450. Sorry, so 550. 550. There's three churches, 550, 600 that are meeting. There's something about planting where life multiplies. Amen? Amen. All right, so God's calling us to give until it hurts. Giving when you're poor honors God more. How's that? Giving when you're poor honors God more. When we give out of our poverty, God blesses it. It's incredible. So here's what I want to invite you into. As Sarah mentioned, we have this three-day prayer and fast. Gosh, when we say, Lord, your presence is more important than food, something powerful happens. And again, if you've never fasted before, don't, don't do anything crazy. Talk to someone who's done it before. But I do invite you to kind of push your envelope a little bit. I do invite you to do that. Take a day. Take a meal. Again, we've set you up great. We're going to send you out on a sugar high. And um, <laughs> faith group leaders, we're going to then stuff you with pizza, and then we'll fast. Because um, faith group leaders are meeting at, at my house today. But you just do what God's calling you to do as far as the fast. And just come and pray with us, you know. We, we, we give so that it hurts. You might miss your Jeopardy or your, um, uh, you know, um, you might miss your workout on Tuesday or whatever, but come. You know, tonight we're at Renee's. We're going to pray um, along the uh, loving God theme of things. Tomorrow, Monday, we're going to be at um, the Muckleys. We're going to pray along the uh, sharing life theme. And then on Tuesday, we'll be at Bill and Mary Ellen Siegler's. We're going to pray along the proclaiming Jesus theme. And Lord, as we get into these next... Um, so we get in this next season, Lord, just, just do something in us. Show us what it means to give so that it hurts. Show us how to give and we're poor so we can honor you more. I, I just invite you to come and join us any of those times. Let's learn how to pray together. Let's fast. Let's seek the Lord. If we give so that it hurts, I think we're going to get the attention of Jesus. Okay? Something about that poor widow 
grabbed his attention, that we have it in our story now. It just attracts the grace of God when we start giving so that it hurts. And I think the next five years are going to be for us a season of unprecedented growth, unprecedented breakthrough in Beverly and the nations. It says in there, what did it say about the widow? It said that she gave more. We can give more out of our poverty, okay? Not more busy. We just say, Lord, what does it look like for us to give more? Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's let the worship party begin. Are you up for that? Can we honor God today?